Welcome to Two Therapists Talking. The hope for this podcast is to talk about important issues related to couples and individuals who are struggling in their lives with many different issues. I'm David Thompson, a marriage and family therapist. And I'm Sherry Christensen, marriage and family therapist. Please join us as we explore these issues together, and we hope you will learn and be enlightened along the way. Come find us at twotherapisttalking.com. Welcome to the Two Therapists Talking podcast. I'm David. I'm Sherry. And we are doing our first episode. We are hoping that this is a really helpful process to you. We're actually excited to yeah. talk and We've to share. We've been talking about doing this for a really long time and just being able to share our experience as therapists and uh, what we've learned as we've had hundreds and thousands of clients walking through our doors, what what benefit have we gotten from that and what can we share with you? You may, as we go through this course of this podcast, you may recognize issues that either you are facing, perhaps your children, friends, family, a spouse are facing. And our hope is that we can share some of the the tools of recovery, of progression with you, that we can share some of the process. David is really into process, and he's got some amazing things that he's going to share on this podcast. And that some of that can be helpful to you, that you can connect with that, take that with you into your own lives and into the lives of the people that you know. And I'm, I'm glad Sherry brings up the process part. I like processes and tools, and that's why it's two therapists talking <laughs> and not just one. I don't know how much benefit it would be if it was just one perspective. And so this, I think, is going to be uh, good for you to see different angles and for us to contribute, both of us. And so she has a lot in terms of her approach to these issues and how she feels about it besides my processes. So this is going to be, like she said, the goal is for you to learn more, but also to feel better and to be better for having heard the podcast and have direction and ideas and maybe um, go in a direction or take steps that are important for you. And if we can be a part of that and encourage that or give you courage or strength or even maybe just curiosity, I think that we will be happy about that. We'll yeah. be doing what we want. Yeah. I'd love uh, just to be able to share. I think both of us share a little bit about, you know, our journey getting to this place, uh, starting our journey as therapists and coming to the place where we are right now where we are sharing this information with you. So as we get started, let's learn a little bit about us. Sherry, tell us about how you got here. Okay. Uh, I started a long time ago, got my therapy degree, loved it, started working, and then I took a break to have a family, raise my kiddos, and during that process, I really wanted to stay active in the field, so... I did a lot of writing. I have been on radio. I've been on podcasts. I've presented across the country and internationally. And I've written a book for parents of young children on how to talk to them about healthy sexuality. 
and I've got a couple more in the works. Which we will be talking about, yes, by the we'll way. Yes, we'll do a which future. Is really, it's really good. Future podcast on that. And then uh, a little while ago, I got back into sitting in the room with clients, which really is something I absolutely love. I originally was doing graduate work in sociology because I do really love research and I love to write. And I switched because I wanted to be with people. So Mm. I'm really enjoying being back in that space of being with people and walking with them through their journeys. So professionally, that's me. Uh, Personally, I, I would say I love life. I like to dabble in and learn about a lot of different things. So... I really love doing triathlons and hiking and road biking, and I also love to dance. I love to sing. I just like to dabble in lots of different things, and it's fun. (laughs) Uh, Sure, if you say so. She loves all the things I'm not into, so that's... Well, there you go. We all have to be different. Some of us need to be good at it. Some of us are not. I'd like to see you get up and dance and sing. Maybe we'll have a podcast on on David singing. But but David, why don't you tell us a little bit about about you? Tell us all the things that you love and your professional background. I just really enjoy what I do. I'm a certified sexual addictions therapist. That's you're going to learn kind of more about that and what that means. And I enjoy that very much. As far as uh, personally, which I think is important to know, I have been married um, 20 years in May. Mm, congratulations. That better be right. I think it is. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and I have five children. My oldest is uh, 18. My youngest is eight. And I'm a little sad, if I'm being honest, that there's not little tiny kiddos anymore. Mm-hmm. Um I guess you just get older, right? But I enjoy hiking. I enjoy reading. Um, I used to play basketball. I look on that with fondness and don't do that much anymore. <laughs> Those are some of my interests. As, as far as my background, my parents divorced when I was five, and that set the tone for really a long process that ends with me here as a therapist. Hmm. Um, Life was unpredictable for me. There was a lot of insecurity, not knowing what was going to happen. There was a lot of moving and things like that. But it put me on a path that was important for me to really discover what matters. And this has been the foundation for how I came to be where I am. And why I do what I do now. Yeah. Growing up, I I realize now, of course, as a kid, you're not objective, right? And so as a kid, it's just hard, and you're trying to make sense of why it's hard. And for me, I just, I took all of that inside, and there was something about me that wasn't okay. 
And I took a course in college that changed my life. It was a parenting course, and it wasn't even the principal. I don't remember very much about the course, except there was a point where my professor said, listen, <laughs> and this was a video class, which made it even more difficult. I still remember watching the video of him on the big screen instead <laughs> of him in person. A little different than Zoom classes now. Which is weird. Yeah, this is way before we had issues with COVID or anything, so... And he simply said, you are not a human doing, you're a human being. And this concept hit me like a Mack truck. I had never considered before how I could be more than the sum total of what I've done. Hmm. And not just done as in physically done, but what I've experienced, what I thought, what I thought about myself. It just was such an interesting concept. It was like a bolt of lightning out of the blue. And it took me a really long time to process. So process, that's therapy talk for figure it out. We mm -hmm. probably should identify some of these therapy Think words to process. and work through it over and over in your mind, get the new angles and all of that. It's almost like a simmering it, it was percolate. just that was percolate. One of, one of the go. words that one of my professors would use is percolate. Percolate. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. That's what it did. And the impact on me, I, I started a process that I can only describe as a separation of myself into two groups. And, and this took years, by the way. This isn't a really simple thing. But I became both David the human being and David the human doing. And I had to kind of figure out how those two uh, intersected, where they crossed, and, yes. and what it meant, like why it matters. I always thought everybody has gone through a similar process like this. <laughs> and not a lot of people have. Not from what I've seen in therapy. It's the same impact often for others that I had in that class in college, where they just kind of sit on it for a bit. But if I'm being totally honest, that's like my favorite part of this process is when people begin to really see themselves. It's like this glimmer of hope that I could be more than just what I've thought, just what I've done, just what I've um, experienced. And it's a, it's a neat thing. Mm -hmm. I love it. It warms my heart. It's hard to describe. And so that's been one of my focuses, hopefully, as a therapist yeah. in this process. Yeah. Well, I grew up really differently than that. Um, I had a little bit of an idyllic, as I would describe it, growing up. But I always loved connecting with people. I think one of the things that most people say when they describe me is, I love people. I love to understand all the intricacies about people and their lives and <clears throat> I think pretty much everyone is amazing. And I just want to know what it is about you as a person that makes you amazing. And I can always find it. And so that has been a big driving force in my life is to get to know people and understand who they are and the amazingness that they bring to their lives and to the world. And so as I went through school, that was something that was really important to me is to do something with my life 
where I could help people see that amazing that they had. I think you have that too when clients come in. It's it's that excitement of here we go. Definitely exciting. And I, it's, it's really fun to get to know different people Mm -hmm. and what they've been through. And it really feels like a, uh, I'm sure for you, it feels the same. Uh, it's like a special, it's like a sacred process. Yes. You're, you're getting to see things that are very important to them mm-hmm. that sometimes they have not shared at all. Yes. And it feels privileged. Yes, it's an honor. It's an honor. Absolutely. And so this is, this can be a really neat thing. I do enjoy that very much. There's also parts that are challenging because you want to give them something and sometimes they're not very interested in it and that's hard and you just want to love them and help them. So hopefully that's kind of helping you to see us a little bit, get to know us a little bit. Um, I think Sherry does a pretty good job of wanting to connect to people. Honestly, I think I struggle a little bit more with that. (laughs) You Um, say that, but it's not true. (laughs) I try. Um, You see people, you see people the way you see the underneath too. And I think people really resonate with that. I remember there's a book, there's always books that have a big impact on us. You have books that had a tremendous impact on you. And one of those for me was The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. And he said, and I use this probably four or five or 10 times a day he said <laughs> mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs mm. and i love this idea of i'm helping people back to reality and they're not broken in need of being fixed sometimes we get stuck and we need help to move and it's exciting for me I, i'm sure it's exciting for for most who do what we do um it's exciting to help people to see things and to come back to reality, which is only good, which is yes. only they are valuable and they matter. Yes. Kind of like it was for me. Yes. That, that reality of, of who you really are underneath all of the things that get piled on the top of the experiences and the pain and all of that and understanding that reality is very, very powerful and grounding and centering and just brings you to a space of, I would say, peace and serenity in your life. And that, I think, is what all of us are running around searching for, right? Definitely. Definitely. And it's the frustrating part is you are better than you think and you are safer than you think. But we don't know, and we and need more help. Sacred than you and more think. sacred, definitely. Mm-hmm. This is a good process. Hopefully, this is helpful for you in the same kind of way, but maybe different. Mm-hmm. I mean, podcasts. I'm new to this podcast thing, so yes, I'm trying. Um, but tell tell us a little bit, David, about how long you've been doing this. What do you kind of work with? You know, those kinds of things. So. We can all get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, so I've been doing this about 10 years. Um, I, right out of graduate school, worked at a red, at an adolescent residential 
Boys Treatment Center. And it was sexual addiction. So I remember in graduate school, our professors talking about our niche, what we're going to do. Like we were going to know that ahead of time, which is always funny. With mm-hmm. no experience, we're just going to know that we're going to, I'm going to focus on depression or anxiety. That's actually what I thought I would because I recognized that growing up, I was depressed a lot of the time and I was a perfectionist and I had to be in control and I'm starting to mm-hmm. see all these patterns. So I thought, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. But you also have to, you know, get a job and work. Yes. And so you come out of graduate school and you go where you can go and where you're needed. And and it was a treatment center for these boys who struggled with pornography and masturbation. And um, they often could not be in the home any longer and had to go somewhere. And so I, I felt like I was just thrown into it. I The deep end. The deep end for sure. So. I... They hired me. Usually, it sounds like they were, they had acted out in a way that there were maybe even criminal charges or different things like that that were pressed against them. Definitely. And it wasn't something I would have chosen initially, but I came to just love them. But I was, I was brought on as the clinical director and no other therapist. So the clinical director left before I got there. So I had his office and his computer, and that's it. And I did not know what I was doing. And I remember within a day or two, they said, you know, these insurance companies need the information so that they can be um, reimbursed and all kinds of things that I had no idea what they were talking about. (laughs) So that was an intro to how I got started in this. But I learned a lot and I started to love the addict. So this person, you could call him the addict. You know, in reality, we're all addicts to something. It may be, um, you know, substances like food or caffeine or sugar. Uh, it could be a process addiction, which is something that you do. For example, exercise or gaming or porn, where you're not taking something into your body. However, the brain gets stuck in this addictive cycle nevertheless, right? Mm-hmm. I just came to love the addict. I came to see them as somebody different. And that became... Just like I talked about this idea of I'm a human being and not a human doing, I had this fire to get everyone to see that they were the same. They were a human being. And I learned the hard way that you can't just tell somebody, hey, guess what? You are worth more than you think. You are more special than you know. That's sort of like deer in the headlights. Okay, what does that even mean? (laughs) And that was hard for me. And I think a lot of people... And you don't have to be a therapist. You have loved ones that do not feel very good about themselves and you love them desperately. And it's like you can't give that to them. Mm -hmm. They have to see it. They have to. There is no other way. I also remember in graduate school learning that it's not the truth that matters. It's somebody's individual process of discovering the truth for themselves. And I wanted to just give them the truth. and, and, And I felt like that would fix it, right? If you just knew this, you'd be okay. But it's not a knowing like we're used to. It's a felt knowing, and I can't give that away. And so that was frustrating for me. Like I was banging my head against the wall trying to teach these boys, and they were not getting it. Mm -hmm. And my approach was not working. And I thought, well, okay, I know this is true, so what am I doing wrong? It must be me. There's got to be something here. Um, But in reality, I learned over time that, 
it takes a lot of trust and it takes a lot of safety to hear what somebody has to say. Yeah. You know, this idea, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And they did not trust me. And they've had some pretty hard experiences. Turns out I looked up the numbers and 90% plus of all the boys that came through while I was there were adopted. And that's a tough situation. And so on top of that, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to make them feel like, like they have a place. I'm going to be that guy that makes them belong. And not that simple. Yeah. And so much of it's an, an invitation, right? An invitation for different things. And, you know, you just don't know. Those of you who are listening, you don't know how much just your simple invitation to a different reality might make a difference for someone today or in 25 years. And just the offering rather than the the fixing, you know, that sometimes we get in those spaces, we want to just fix it and like help somebody. It's easier. (laughs) Yes. I'm just going to tell you, and then you're going to know and you're going to do when in reality, all we can do is offer options. And as people shift and change and um, see differently, they, they take advantage of those or they see, or they remember Oh, wow. I remember when my mom told me this 20 years ago, or I remember when my friend reached out to me last year and said this and things, things resonate with people. They, they resonate with the truth Mm -hmm. when it's time. Yes. So for example, I will often, it's not an experiment that word comes to mind, but I want you to try something as you're listening. I want you to think about your life and how you feel about yourself, where you feel you are. Things you've done, what you've accomplished, maybe hard things. Maybe things you're stressed about right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's all of the above. Mm-hmm. COVID. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of stress everywhere. And I want you to, on a scale from zero to 100, where zero is none at all and 100 is complete, couldn't be more, I want you to think about where you would put yourself for how you feel about your worth. You want to go for your gut number. It's the first number that pops into your head. And it's not a should. I should feel this way. Or people tell me that it should be this number. Yeah, we have this war between our head and our heart often, right? But just your gut sense of what you feel your worth And I want you to think about whatever that number is. And I want you to think about if that's an average, if that's a good day, if that's a bad day. And it's a range. It's a scale. It'll slide. And if you think back to something that happened that was not a good thing, either it happened to you, maybe it's something that you did in that moment of how do you feel. 
what are you worth? It may, may be a lower number. Mm-hmm. But I want you to think about that number. And I want you to just hold space for that a little bit. Again, hold space. It's therapy talk. It means just think about it. It means allow, give permission for whatever you're feeling or thinking to be there. It means complete acceptance without judgment. You're just curious. Mm -hmm. Maybe not just even in your mind, but maybe in your heart, maybe in your body. What does that feel like? And now I want you to imagine you as a newborn. I want you to imagine a hospital room, and you may be familiar with this if you have children. Maybe your mother and father both are there, maybe just your mother. I just want you to imagine when you were born and visualize newborn you. You were there. Probably don't remember, (laughs) but imagine newborn you. So I always think the size of a loaf of bread or so. Um, But I want you to imagine this newborn. And he or she has really little hands, really little feet. Fingernails, toenails. Fingernails and toenails, which are perfectly groomed. Uh Uh-huh. And as you imagine newborn you... I want you to, again, hold space for that or just allow whatever thoughts or feelings that come, let them come. And I want you to imagine on that same scale of 0 to 100 what newborn you is worth. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just what you feel. And so again, going back to that gut feeling, what was it? Was it different than the first number? And I want you to think about why it may have been different. And maybe it wasn't. If it was different, I want you to think about why it was different. The most common answer I will hear is Mm -hmm. 100, and it will come pretty fast. It's not like you have to sit and think about it for a while. If you're you're going off just how you feel and your gut, it comes pretty fast usually, in my experience. And obviously that's different for some people, but that's generally what I think we both see with clients. Mm Mm-hmm. And as you think about why, I want to bring this back to my my epiphany, my eureka moment in college mm-hmm. where I it blew my mind that I'm not a human doing. I'm a human being. And I want you to think about that because if newborn you had a higher number than before, kind of the you now. Now, yeah. I want you to think about why that is because newborn you is not or was not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Because what are some of the reasons? Let's talk about some of those reasons why people will say, well, my number is lower now. Even what do you see generally typically with that number? Where do people often end up? 
usually what they'll say is it's lower now because I've made mistakes, mm-hmm. because of what I've done, because of what I've experienced, which is heartbreaking, mm-hmm. really. Like sometimes uh, they just need a hug is, yeah. is the sense you get, but it's really sad. And, and also sometimes what they've experienced in life, maybe they've been abused or um, raped or you know, there's a lot of really hard things that people go through where they feel like maybe something has been taken from them. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All, all of the above. And it's universal. We all feel it. We all have it. But I, I try to emphasize for them. Now, newborn you was not doing anything. Sleeping, eating. Needy, actually. Yes, if- very needy. They, they need fed, they need attention. If you just leave you on the hospital bed, you would not survive. So the only thing you were doing was you were alive. Yes, you were That's existing. It. Literally, you were just alive. And then everyone was doing for you. Everybody was doing for you, completely dependent. Mm-hmm. And yet, a hundred, mm-hmm. if that's what you felt. And that's interesting, and I want you to think about that. Because if it wasn't about doing then, it's not about doing now. Yeah. But we've lost that. That didn't actually get taken from us. We lost it on our own. And I try to emphasize that that's not your fault. Yes. This wasn't something, you know, you intended to lose. And really, it wasn't something mom or dad intended you to lose. And this is where people sometimes are a little bit surprised. Um, and I, I fall back again to mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs. And so here's the reality. The reality is that we grow up and in a really good situation, I say really good as in like uh, mom and dad, there wasn't a lot of instability. You didn't move around a lot. I mean, just imagine abuse or physical abuse there wasn't or a lot like of that. stuff. There weren't things like that. Good situation, right? Which isn't a lot of our situations. It wasn't my situation. Mm-hmm. But even in a good situation, you're never enough. And I want you to think about this, right? Yeah. So were just you... Have a universal thought. Absolutely. Were you popular enough? Were you attractive enough? Were you athletic enough? Were mm-hmm. you smart enough? If you grew up in maybe a religious or a conservative background, were you obedient enough? And in time, guess what you came to believe about yourself? Yeah, I'm not enough. And it's really sad because nobody was intending that to happen. If there's abuse or divorce or neglect or adoption, it's worse. It can be worse, and that's been my experience. But even in a good situation, and I promise... Some of you may be thinking, well, you're saying I didn't have good parents. (laughs) No, no. No. It's not that you didn't have good parents. And really, your parents did the best they could with what they had. That tends to be true. And Mm -hmm. so they weren't trying. They just often are busy. They're distracted. They have other children. There's a lot going on. But the problem is when you're three or four or five, or I think of my children, um, if I come home and I'm upset because there's a lot going on at work and I am mad at them. My eight-year-old daughter, when I get mad at her, doesn't think, oh, well, dad's got a lot of stress at work and that's what's going on. Yeah. She's not objective. She can't be. 
Her brain is not developed yet. She thinks she's bad. It's me. It's her. Mm Mm-hmm. And that happens, I don't know how many times maybe growing up. Right. Yes. Even with the best of people. The best. (laughs) And my kids are... (laughs) My kids are going to feel the exact same thing, although I'm trying to be more proactive. But We all are doing our best, and we're going to get our messes all over each other. That's part of life. Yep. Right? But it's fascinating, and they begin to see why they felt not good enough and where it changed. see that, yeah. Just as you probably are now, too, thinking Mm -hmm. about it. It's just a process of life. Mm-hmm. And every every one of us goes through that at some level. Or maybe you feel like you're enough in some ways, but not enough in other ways. And not being enough really hits us at a deep core place. More than we realize. Much more. And it formed when we were so little that there's not a whole lot we would have realized anyway. Mm-hmm. And we spend, from my experience, I can only speak from my experience, Sherry's is probably similar, Mm -hmm. we spend the rest of our lives trying to make up for that, but we don't know what we're trying to make up for. Yes. We just know we don't feel good enough. And so we turn to something that will help us to feel better. Mm -hmm. Enter, stage left, all of these issues in our lives, which are pretty varied. Yeah, just unhealthy coping skills that we develop in order to try to create a sense of emotional safety in our lives. Because at some level, in some way, we're just not quite enough. Right. Exactly. And it hurts. That hurts a lot. What are we supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do with that if I'm 8 or if I'm 10 or if I'm 12? Really, what do I do with that? If I feel like I have to be perfect to be lovable, maybe, maybe if I could just do everything right, they would love me. They would accept me. I'm not thinking this cognitively or or consciously. It's just kind of how I feel. Maybe if I could do everything just right. But when do we ever feel like we're doing everything just right? Yes. Or when are we actually doing everything? When are we actually, yeah. (laughs) Just right. Yeah. Being perfect. What are some of the other ones? Walking on eggshells around people, trying to manage everyone else's emotions and feelings, or maybe it's one person in specific, a parent or, you know, a significant other maybe now in your life where you try to walk on eggshells or make things right, always monitoring how they're feeling and doing so that you can feel okay so that everything will be okay and you'll have that sense of worth and then that sense of emotional safety right what else addictions addictions for sure i mean so i am a certified sexual addictions therapist dr patrick karn started a a group that focused on this which We had a lot of literature on other addictions, primarily alcoholism is one that's been studied for decades. Mm -hmm. Um, We know the 12-step program well. It works. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Carnes is the pioneer of a sexual addiction 
as something that is real and needs treated. Mm -hmm. But he said, and this is the opening line in his very, in his workbook, chapter one, first sentence, addiction is an illness of escape. Its goal is to obliterate painful feelings. And most painful of all is rejection and loneliness. So why do we turn? You could say addiction. For, for guys, pornography, masturbation is an easy one. Um, doesn't really matter what it is. Could be gaming. Uh, food's a big one. If you mm-hmm. asked me, I would probably say food is number one nationwide, worldwide, as a way to deal with the pain of not feeling good enough. But your particular flavor or depending on your personality, it might be uh, shopping, it might be exercising. There's different ways to do this. Work, Mm -hmm. definitely. But it's all the same, trying to make us feel better about not feeling good enough. And in my anxiety, trying to help, I often hope that them just knowing this somehow is going to change everything. And it doesn't. Mm -hmm. But it does feel good when I see them and hopefully maybe even for you, start to consider this separation of, of who you are from what you've done or what's mm-hmm. happened to you. Mm-hmm. And in, in a loving kindness approach, not just more, more reason to be down on yourself that you didn't see this sooner or you're frustrated that this is where you are, you should be uh, further ahead or you should know better, none of that. Yeah, one of the things I always say is, If you really understand people and even yourself, you make perfect sense. Mm. You go through these experiences in your life. Things happen to you. You make choices, the unhealthy coping skills, the things that we do to try to feel okay. And it makes sense, right? Just as we're Mm -hmm. talking about this, that makes sense. And if you don't have... The, I, I mean, even perfect therapist parents, right? If even if you, even those, you're not going to hit all of these things. You're not going to be able to. It's a process of discovering that on your own through time, and so of course, before that, you're going to have unhealthy coping skills. We every single one of us do, and they make perfect sense. Why would you know to do something different? Mm-hmm. Why would you? And, and we've even since learned that the brain is hardwired to meet its needs. And mm-hmm. if you can't connect to the people around you, it's going to find something you can connect to, mm-hmm. which is sometimes confusing because on the surface, you can look at something like addiction and say, well, it's just destructive. Why are you doing this? But for the person in the addiction, it is acceptance. It is a form of, of attention and belonging. It's a less effective one, which you'll probably hear me say a lot in this process. Instead of things being good or bad, right or wrong, black and white, heaven and hell, really (laughs) it's more accurate to say more or less effective. And we learn less effective coping strategies that, you know, just don't work so well, like eating. Mm -hmm. That's, That's a good one that makes a lot of sense usually is so if I feel bad, it's easy to turn to food because food feels good. We eat certain foods and our brain releases endorphins Mm -hmm. and dopamine and it's have a rough day. You walk in the door and it works fridge and check out what's there. Does it not work? You're just headed to the (laughs) fridge and you already feel better, right? Uh huh. 
So this process, hopefully, I'm planting, we're planting seeds of considering a different perspective on who you are. Hopefully it's, it's something that you can buy into that gives you hope. There is nothing, and I mean this when I say it, I, I don't have to know you. I can say mm-hmm. it in total confidence. Yes. There's nothing wrong with you, any of you. There's nothing wrong with you. All you have is habits and patterns and thoughts that you've developed to feel better. And a lot of those, some of those, maybe very few of those, may be less effective. And hopefully this process is something that helps you to become more effective so that you can feel, you can share how you feel, you can get your needs met. You can find that underlying amazing. Yes, and that grounded and centered and peaceful space that we're all looking for, that contentment in knowing that you are enough and living from that space that I think it opens so many, so many options for us. It yeah. opens dreams. It opens goals. Um, you can live in such a different and beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Hard to understand when you're not there or if you haven't been there. Mm-hmm. I I make it sound easy. Maybe we make it sound like it's no big deal. And <laughs> and I feel like I'm back in that place with those adolescent boys where I just want to make them see it and I can't. It's a process. Uh, as far as I can tell, and I've thought a lot about this, it took me about two and a half years to move from David the human doing to David the human being. Mm-hmm. And... I think for a lot of a lot of us it's going to take a lot longer than that because there's so much that is involved in that process and there's so many outside influences. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not sitting with that, if you're not coming in to therapy every week and hearing and having that reiterated to you or if you're surrounded with people who are abusive um, toward you or who don't have your best interests at heart and you're hearing those messages day in and day out, it can be quite the challenge. But the amazing thing is as you take those little steps and maybe you don't do it for a while or maybe you work really, really hard and take breaks and that whole process brings you to a different being. It really does change. You know, there's research that shows that as we change what we're doing, what we're thinking, all of that, it actually changes our DNA. Mm -hmm. We're becoming different. And that process of becoming is the goal, is the ideal. I'm trying to think as you're saying this, how long did it take me to really get to that place? I think Um, Sherry might have been one of these rare persons who was born with it? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. I definitely notice, I definitely notice a big shift. I think just a gradual one. Just, you know, you go through things that are really, really hard. And sometimes you have to change just a little bit at a time. You know, you have that kind of percolation going in the back of your mind. And you you think about things and you work through things. And Um, I can definitely say I'm in a completely different place than I was maybe, you know, six or seven years ago. And I think it's that gradual process. And I, I think sometimes, you know, like David's saying, we want to jump ahead and 
be at the end, but the process is what changes ourselves mm-hmm. and what changes our experience. And that gives us so much more than if we just flipped a switch. And now, you know, I've definitely, I've had people that will come up to me and say, I don't understand how you go through the things that you go through and are at such that peaceful, calm space. And it's because of the process and that work every moment. And that is what's beautiful about it. And I think that gives us, that's just so much more powerful. It gives us that strength and that understanding. You know, when you come in to our offices and you're in that much pain or that much struggle or have all of these things that have happened to you or choices that you have made, it can feel daunting to look ahead. But truly, that is the beauty of it, that the power comes through the doing. Mm -hmm. Back to it's not the truth, it's your process of finding the truth. Mm -hmm. I'm not very patient so it's really hard for me. To, I want to just get there and make it happen. It's not how it works. And Sherry's exactly right. It's the process and it takes a while. And that's okay that it takes a while because if nothing else, right, you are 100%. It's yes. never been any different. Not, not a day in your life since the day you were born. And that hopefully is strengthening. It gives you courage to do some hard things. You are okay. You are better than you think. Thank you for tuning in to our very first episode. And we hope these are helpful to you going forward. Thank you for listening to Two Therapists Talking. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you. Connect with us at twotherapisttalking.com or email podcast at twotherapisttalking.com.